Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee, and we're back at Trainer Road this week with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hi. And we are going to answer more of your coaching questions today, and we will kick off with Devin's question. He sent it in via Snapchat. What? Yeah. What about Cross Vegas? Oh, that's right. We should do that. Sorry, Devin. We'll get to yours in just a bit. Let's talk about Cross Vegas, because all three of us did it. Um, there were cross race, first race, UCI world cup, different levels of success. Yeah. It was the wheeler and we did the wheelers and dealers event. So all day they had done USAC races. And then after they did the USAC races, they did wheelers and dealers. Then after that, they went into the UCI pro women, then pro men. So you could say that we paved the way for the UCI pros a bit, but did indeed the sand pit. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the start field. Yeah, 147 men. Even there were 198 registered, but 147 actually lined up. And Which is then a lot for a cross a race. Lot. Yeah, on a pretty, you know, tight run in and tight yeah, course like in five general. Five guys across, maybe. Yeah. Like if you're standing there, oh. you could line up five yep, across. Five across. Yeah. And then there were 98 women. And they started two minutes after us. Uh yep. Two minutes after us. Um, so and there were some fa- and the Very thing nice. about the industry class or this wheelers and dealers class, you have a huge mix. Like some people are extremely fast, right? A lot of them are like ex-pro type of guys that now work in the industry really fast. Then you had, there was one guy wearing a nude suit. It was like, it looked like he, like printed on the skin suit. It was like fur and like, or like hair and, and skin. Butt crack and oh, fat it folds. It was very graphic. It was disgusting. And then another guy in a shark suit. He's there every year. A guy in a gorilla suit. So some people don't take it seriously. Some people do, but regardless, we were seated around a hundred out of 147. Well, you know what? I think only they didn't have zero through 30, right? So we were maybe at 70. So probably around 70. Yeah. Either way, yeah. a lot we, of people. Yeah. We were, there were a lot of people ahead of us. Yep. So the start, they started, I was surprised by how. Viciously. So, yeah. It was like 900 Watts, 800 Watts, people mm-hmm. still trying to pass and like not caring for it felt like a crit, like people, except worse because there was grass. People were just diving around. It's a mountain bike race. That's like that, how they start like yeah. that. Yep. But it still strung out after about half a lap. Yeah. It mm-hmm. still didn't feel, it didn't feel crowded then. Mm-mm. It was a great course. Really, really, uh, I would call, I don't know, fair, but it wasn't like overly technical, but it was technical. There's yeah. so much were, traction to be had due to the grass and the yeah. dryness that you almost couldn't lose a front wheel, except for the guy who did in front of me and I piled on top of him and some guy piled on top of me. So I don't know how that's possible because I don't, I don't either. I was baffled by the like, fact that someone is losing his front wheel in front of me and yeah. I'm falling on top of him right Chad's now. Chad's excuses. He had a crash, and but just, it wasn't his fault. So just so you guys know, crashed. that grass is like Velcro. Um, and we're, I'm sure Nate's going to talk it's about this out. in a bit. Yeah. Really dry. And so you'd think that it would just be kind of crispy and you'd blow right through it, but no, it was, it was just leg sapping. So when you dry were, enough that it would get tangled up in your derailleur pulleys yeah, and afterwards, chain. you couldn't even see a pulley yeah. in my derailleur. It was just like, I had grass pulleys and that was it. And when you were coming into the turns, it was so like, it was so thick and it was slowing you down so much that I touched my brakes thinking back through it a total of three times, I think. Because basically you'd be riding along and you'd be 400 watts or above, 300 watts or above, I should say. And then coming into the turn, all you'd have to do is just ease up to 200 watts and you were slowing right down. And then you'd go right into the the turns. It was crazy how I, I always heard that the grass affected you, but I didn't know it would be that strong. There was just a small handful of instances on each lap where you actually needed to touch brakes. You guys. Yeah. (laughs) So that I, so 
Let's talk about placements, then I'll talk about our normalized power, and then what I did cool. really wrong. And what Chad, we already know what Chad did wrong, is he got behind the wrong guy. Well, I, I got crashed, but I, I didn't attack the start. I didn't, uh, I, I was there to basically one, yeah. figure stuff out. I wasn't looking for any placings, I was just trying to mm-hmm. just have fun at a cross race. And Boy, Jonathan did pretty fun. well. Did? Yeah, I got 31st. Um, and I finished two seconds behind the guy. I was catching him, but in the last straight, I couldn't seconds get him. Seconds behind 30th? Uh, 30th, yeah. So I was close to getting top 30, but Chad said I got top 31. So that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do. Yeah, yeah. And Chad, where were you? I got like top 72. Top 72. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I was like, what, top 117? Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's about right. Um, and then here's interesting. So Jonathan, he just got a power meter like the day before. He didn't test it out. We think the battery's bad. Anyways, his power meter, he didn't get power. Yeah. Ooh-hoo. I've got it paired now. But yeah, and it was the battery. Yeah. Just one thing, whenever you get a new power meter, don't assume that your battery works. And it didn't have the little tab inserted on there. That wasn't the problem. It was just the battery was dead. That's normal. So um, so one thing, the race was for me was like 36 minutes. Um, Chad, it was like 34 minutes and I think Jonathan was 32 minutes, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, no, I was 30. Yeah. 30 minutes. Oh, 30. And then 32 little, and then 34. Oh, that's so what it was. 32 yeah. and 34. Yeah. Okay. So we're two minutes off each other. Um, Chad's normalized power was like 265, 268. That's really low. Yeah. Which was crazy. And it makes sense though, because there was so much getting off your bike mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like carrying it and stuff. And fair amount of coasting. I mean, that was an up and down course. Yeah, there were certain spots where you, uh, so it's in a basin, uh, much like all Southwest parks in the Southwestern United States. They're big grass areas, but then they all kind of fold down and there's a basin in the bottom. It's still grass, but they do that to catch all the flood water. So you're, we're riding either on top of that in the bottom or up and down those steep sides of the basin. And whenever you're going down those, it it was usually into a tight turn. So you weren't pedaling there. So there was a lot of downtime there. What's your FTP rate, Chad, right now? Probably about 3.30, I'm going to say. So what could you do, you think, for 32 minutes all out? Uh, 3.40 maybe? 3.35? Yeah, maybe, optimistically. Yes, somewhere around there. Yeah. So just 2.65 normalized power just shows you. And it was hard. It was yeah, 30 it was, minutes, but it was hard. Yeah. My normalized power, so my FT, I have more excuses. I have so many excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but my normalized power was 2.45, not that far behind Chad, but I was surprised with the placing far behind. And afterwards, you guys said that you barely ever broke mm-hmm. or used the brakes. Mm-hmm. And I used it every single turn. And there yeah. were probably 90 turns a lap. Yeah, and I was a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just like every turn I'd like gingerly kind of. Brake, accelerate, brake, accelerate. Exactly. I, I would kind of like what I didn't do. And, you know, is the Ryan Leach podcast out yet? Nope. It's coming up. Okay. So listen to that carefully. And Ryan has two main points in that one. And one is feel and like testing the dirt. And this would be testing the grass. And I never. I go on, Chad had a good point in that podcast too. I go on brains. I am trying to think like an, like an engineer or overthink everything. Yeah, super and I analytical. Left pedal out, break before the turn, left elbow up, you know, like a right, right elbow way up. Way too much conscious yeah, exactly. thought going on. Not like flowing and that kind of thing and try to just get the feel right and yeah. go for that feel, which I think Jonathan, you never think, right? You just never. go for the feel. Yep. Yeah, John, Jonathan, trust me, he never thinks. <laughs> um, Ouch. <laughs> and then on the uh, testing the dirt, Ryan Leach talks about like finding where that slipping point is. Yeah. And I didn't do that with the grass. I, where you guys now say there is, there was no slipping point. Like I could take. I didn't find it. I well, I, I take that back. I did find it in one turn. Uh, I went through my front end, was started to tuck, which, which just means that you start to low side with your front end. 
And but that was one of the tightest turns they had, and it was downhill off camber. Guy in front of me found it, but <clears throat> I'd be willing to bet he grabbed brake. I don't think he just I lost bet. his front wheel. Yeah. I, yeah. So my point is though, is before the race, I had time. I should have been trying to take some corners a few times and been like, hey, this is a uh, one of the normal corners. Let's see if I can take it without my brakes. Let's see how hard I can go. Yep. Maybe even take it with my foot out. So I like try to fall. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See where that point is. So that when I'm in the race, I'm not in the race. I like didn't want to experience where that line sure. was. So yeah, when right. we, when you and I were warming up together, Nate, and then after the first lap, I just took off and I don't know if you, no, you know, I stopped. Okay. So I took off because the first thing I always, whenever I'm warming up, I'll take my time to get familiar with the course or just warm up physically. Um, if I'm warming up at the course, not on the trainer, but I will always push the limits to find exactly where that limit is. So in this case, I went extremely hard for about half a lap and there were some technical sections where you had to turn downhill and go into that steep U-turn, yeah. all that stuff. You didn't and use I, your brakes there. No, I had to use my yeah, brakes there. That was one, that of, the was one, of, the was one of the spots. For sure. um, so coming into that turn though, I went much faster than I was comfortable with, but I wanted to test where the breaking point was. And I was, or, and I shouldn't see you say breaking point because that could be misconstrued, but where that point of traction was and where it would, that, that threshold was. And I was so surprised because I charged into that turn really fast and it didn't let go. I simply had too much momentum for the turn and trying to bank too much. I, I didn't even find the limit. So at that point I realized this is not going to be, uh, a, cause I, in a lot of my racing, I gain time on people and mountain bike racing, even road racing on breaking points. That's a, that's something where I know that if somebody's going to break here, I bet you I can break 10 feet later than him. And that gives me 10 feet on that course and I'm carrying a higher speed, right? And if all of that adds up around the course, I'll be able to gap him easier or at least expend less energy, right? So, so that's kind of the, that's what I was looking for. But in that case, breaking wasn't going to give me a huge advantage because you had so much traction. So, but in your case, if you're, you're thinking about things methodically and what to do. And a lot of the time, the problem behind that is you're going into turns doing unnecessary steps. I didn't know I could go as quickly mm. in turns and feel comfortable, which is, you know, I'll, I'll keep getting better. And as the course went on, I felt much more comfortable yeah. after, after that race, I was like, I would like to race this course every weekend throughout mm. cyclocross because it yeah. was so much fun. You, fun. you basically take yourself out of the experience and put yourself in your head, and and it's mm. it's resistive. You're not embracing what's going on. You're you're almost working against it. That's me. That's a yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Hey, let's talk about two other parts of this course too. Uh, oh, you got my else? second excuse. Oh, forgive me, Nick. <laughs> Please keep laying them out for us. <laughs> I feel well. Not you never know, but the the top 117th place. Uh, or was it 112? I don't know. It was somewhere around there. But I did have a lung infection That's and true. a sinus infection. He was really sick. Did I gross you guys out at Interbike? Yeah, it was gross. Yeah. <laughs> Nate was Nate was really sick the whole week. I was actually surprised he even made meetings. Inter, uh, antibiotics so. and coughing stuff up. And, Safe but I to couldn't, say Nate is capable of greater performances. Well, Certainly. <sighs> Certainly. Just, is that what you wanted to hear, Nate? Like, <laughs> can you say I'm okay. skinny too? <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. A couple people at Interbike said He's I was skinny. skinny. I was like, yes. He's tall. Yeah. Um, uh, just do, taking that kind of thing. The, the, the two other thing, one other thing I want to mention before you go move on. Yeah. My average heart rate for the race, and this included some downtime before and afterwards. It's a hummingbird. Was 189. Your max is? My max during that race was 198. And, but the highest I've ever seen it yeah. is 201. Oh. So Chad was saying part of that might have been because I was sick, have a yeah. higher heart rate, but it was, it was hard. And I definitely yeah. think 
even though I didn't blow up, go out super hard, my first lap was so much, had higher power. I think my first lap normalized was like 308 or no, maybe it was mm. it, something like that. And then it went down. I definitely did not evenly pace my laps. Yeah. What do you guys think we should have done? Evenly pace or? I tried evenly pace and it sat me second in the field. I mean, even without the crash, I maybe would have moved up 20 spots. So it still yeah. wouldn't have been a high finish. And uh, I think I attribute that to my lack of uh, an aggressive takeoff. Yeah. So uh, for me, uh, and one thing on the heart rate thing really quick, my max is 184. That's the max that I've seen this year. You're just not trying hard enough. And I was at 183 at that race. Um, and then, yeah, and then my average was 178. That's super high. So that's pretty painful. I went is I went hard on the first lap. And when you have a huge field like this, it's really tempting to just be focusing on how hard you're trying and not crashing. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you won't be looking for alternative lines, which will help you try less hard and also crash less. And for me, when I was sitting behind these people, I got frustrated just after the first turn. I was like, what am I doing? I'm in the main line. So I just told myself stick to the tape. So I just stuck to whichever side I was on the tape. And then that let me get around so many people in the first lap. And I went really hard on the first lap, really hard. In fact, I looked back, the first lap was my fastest lap somehow, even with all the traffic. So that was going as hard as well, I that, possibly could. That's the nature of mountain bike racing. And yep. we're learning cyclocross racing too, is yep. you have to bury yourself early on. Yep. I went as hard as I possibly could. I was still making my way through people all the way through the race, but it thinned out so much by the end. But as hard as I could, second lap was my, um, was my third, we did four laps. Second lap was my third fastest lap. And then after that, my third lap was faster and my last lap was the second fastest lap. So what you just said, Chad, doesn't make sense to me in this, in this sense of you have to bury yourself to get going because if we're, I think my average speed was like 11 miles per hour, mm. right? Something like that. It was, yep. it was not, slow. Not terribly useful uh, the, though. A lot of tight turns. So yeah. Not a lot of drag aerodynamic, like drafting benefit. So, and it, it got so strung out that I felt like no one was ever in in my way, you know what yep. I mean? Like, like keeping me from so what, like what a single track. What don't you understand about that? So uh, as in going so hard and going so like maybe anaerobic at the beginning that that then slows down your performance on future laps yeah, rather than having as fast of lap, like even splits. Lap times at a point stop mattering. You have to be positioned with the people you're going to stay with. And if exactly you can't right. initially get yourself with them, Mental, you're, you're never, no, yep. no, you're never going to, you're never going to claw back the difference between them. So, so the guys in the top, maybe 30, I think I could have sat in with those guys and stayed with those guys, but because there were 20, 30 people separating us, I was never going to close that gap because once you've settled in past that first lap, you're, you're basically working as hard as they are, but they're 20 riders up the road. Yep. But I'm, I'm saying though, you'd be able to, if you were to go hard and get to them, yeah. that second lap, you wouldn't be able to work as hard as them because- Everybody's in that boat though. By uh, then, I think positioned- the, the top guys are just more fit. So they were able to no. lap guys. When, when they so, so to give you an idea on lap times, I had the, I think the seventh fastest lap out of that night, seventh fastest, but I finished 31st. And if you look at a lot of the top guys, my times were faster than even some of the top tens in terms of lap times, not in overall race time, but in the lap uh, time. Overall lap time. Yeah. Exactly. So, but That's here's, what I'm saying. Right, right. So there's a point to that, but there's also an absolute point to what Chad said. First of all, when you're in a race like that and you have to, it's a bunch of people and it's tight, 
you are going to get slowed down so much in when you're dismounting and when you're remounting your bike or any technical section so with a turn. So much extra work. You're going to have to work way harder because you're stuck behind a bunch of people. Well, at the beginning, yes. Yep. But about so half you have, So you have to like favor positioning in the beginning. You really do. Yeah, so in this case, say for that first half lap, mm-hmm. you've got yourself, you settle in with those guys, everybody slows off, everybody recovers, comes yep. back from that and speed ramps back up. I, I can see if you're in the very front, yes, like if you're in like the first three rows, a hundred percent advantage uh-huh. where we were, I think I could have like just gone as hard as I could and not made it through the field. Uh-huh. Like I still would have been. Yeah. So that was so something big. like that would boil down to fitness. You don't have the fitness to ride with those guys or go out well, as even hard as Jonathan, those guys you weren't do. able to go all the way through. Nope. I, right? my times fluctuated. Yep. But I mean, you weren't going to, I'm just saying like we were so far back for starting yes. that we wouldn't be able to get to where it was like clear and clean. No. But the top three rows. Totally. Like yep, go the, real hard. The guys that won all started lines. on the front few rows, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a testament to how important it is to, yep. to uh, we couldn't have gotten call-ups. The call-ups, basically <clears throat> we were positioned on the course by our race numbers. So yep. it all came down to when we signed up. Yep. And that was it. So that positioning is really important. One other thing that I, you mentioned that it's mental in terms of like sticking like with you're that with group. the group. Yeah. Then you try and, harder and it is. And don't discount that. That is extremely important. I think that a lot of the time when you're in a race and you're riding and because it's a cyclocross race, you're going to go really hard no matter what in that first lap, right? No matter where you are, if you're at the front or the back, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. And when that group that you're with starts to ease up, you'll find yourself a lot of the time easing up with them subconsciously. Even you won't realize that it's happening, but you're just thankful that you can finally take a breath. You shouldn't, it's so hard to separate that and just run at a different pace than everybody else, especially when the whole pack fills up the whole course, right? So it's when you do go with faster people, a lot of the time it helps you kind of unlock more of your potential, ride ahead of what you might do if you were stuck back with other people. We, we tend to stick with whoever we're with. That's why in mountain biking, drafting doesn't have hardly any effect because when they're climbing, because they're going super slow. And, but, uh, in fact, in the Jeff Kabush interview, we just posted up, he was talking about a race where they had an hour and 15 minute climb. And that's what kicked off the Carson city off road, that Epic rides event. And he said that he was just struggling to follow wheels, but trying to follow, just sticking with the right guys. And he said, he knew that if he stuck with them and that would just give him the confidence that he needed so that when he got to the part of the course that favored him, he'd be able to make a move. But yeah, all he needed to do was just have that visual bait kind of right there. There's no de- denying. It's like a psychological tether. You, you, totally. you're, you're holding on to those guys and it's a sheer act of, of willpower. This is me going back to the science. So if you take out the, let's mm. say if it's a small field and, and like we're going to do a race, two races this weekend, Cross Reno and a Truckee one. Yeah, I'll for just us. be doing Cross Sage Reno. Sagebrush yeah. series. Yeah, but I'm going to do twi- two Cross Reno ones. And two, I'm still too. sick, though. I'm on my second round of As am I. I'm coming off of a flu. So here, let yeah, the excuses fly. Up. I'm healthy. Yeah. John is fine. Chad had a weight loss program. Um, but if you, so if you take out, there's not a, like a lot of people, no congestion. And yeah. if you, I know you can't do this, this is in the real world, but it just scientifically, if you took out the mental aspect, the best way to write it would be to evenly pace it yep. or maybe a slightly negative split and you would have the fastest time around. But I totally get what you're saying. Like I've done that too, where in a, especially in a running race, if there's someone mm. who I'm like, I see someone and I catch it, that's the race I get the PR. And suddenly right. my, a quote unquote fitness is higher. Exactly. Right. Just because I have that person to chase. Yeah. You're, that's the interesting point that you should always weigh. Like, because like you said, pacing evenly with a slight negative split is going to be faster, but 
weighing out the differences between the two, it's always really interesting to me. And but choosing who you're going to try to follow is of great consequence because, yep. you know, I'm not going to follow Jeff Kabush, yeah. but, but if I tried it, yeah. you know, that psychologically, maybe that's motivating, but it's going to blow me up and it's going to sabotage my entire race. So you have to be sensible about Which, it. You can't just choose. Yeah. By the way, he started 98th in the pro men's field. He started like in last he got taken out in a crash in the first lap. He still finished 17th. And that was the UCI Pro. Vegas? Yeah, UCI wow. Pro race. Still finished 17th. I, I would argue that for me, I went out too hard. And my I don't think I could have, like, there was, like, hidden fitness in my 188 mm. average heart rate, like, <laughs> yeah, 198. Yeah. Like, there yeah. was, I wasn't going to go to, like, 200 or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the body was pretty pegged. The we got back from Interbike Friday night and Saturday morning or Saturday there was a cross race and it could not have been more like to the opposite of what we raced in Vegas. It was so Correct. Nate didn't do it. Chad and I did it. Um, I was still sick. Was Nate was sick. It. You also had your daughter's Probably. soccer game. So um, so we went up. It's at seven thousand feet. Actually, a little higher. It's like seventy five hundred feet. It's up at Donner Summit where those. People got stuck and ate each other years ago. That's why it's called Donner Summit. But up there, ski resort, all decomposed granite or loose, silty dirt. And uh, there was there were two sections with a bunch of turns and tape. I think 12 turns and then seven turns. I think that's the... the so 12 turns in one area, seven turns in another. And then the connection between them was a lot more like mountain bike terrain. There was a long, fast straightaway. And then a climb that was about 20% or more, 30%. It was a short track mountain bike course at that point. Yep. And it was loose and rocky. Um, so a couple things that we gathered from this really quick. On that course, totally the opposite. Technicality was key. So that course favored me a lot. I did really well on that course. Um, whenever there are deep ruts like this and loose dirt, it's always tempting to look at whatever line is in front of your tire and stick with it. And this felt like I was riding motocross again, guys. I was super happy. So when you go through and it's loose, deep dirt like that, and there are ruts, I did not look at a line in front of me. Instead, I just looked in the general area where I wanted to go. And I just didn't just like, uh, what is it in from finding Nemo? Just keep swimming. You just keep pedaling, like just don't stop pedaling. And I was able to get through those sections really well. And then in the tight turns, how Nate was talking about finding that point where you lose traction or it right there. That was instantly, it was very, it was easy to find and it happened really quickly. So what Chad and I noticed, we were talking about this after the race is how we refined where our body was on the bike and our body positioning. Yeah, so we had the, the quote unquote luxury of doing that eight times and every yeah. pass through each of those mazes got a little better than the last one. And there wasn't any... Uh, mental dissection. We weren't saying, okay, this time when I hit that turn, I'm going to wait this pedal. I'm going to do this. It's just the feel for each of those turns got a little better every time we went through it. And I don't know about you, but I noticed that my lines started to get wider and wider and wider in terms of my entry point. And then I also started to get to the point where the, um, the poles on the inside of the turn were hooking my number on my Jersey every lap Here, too. Yeah. Um, I was just refining my line choice and kind of opening up my eyes and seeing the whole course instead of seeing where I see tire tracks. That's a really important thing. Don't just follow the tire tracks. You can go wider coming in and really cut a lot of that turn out so you don't have to turn right in the apex. They also had, uh, so they had two boards that you had to get off and jump because you had no momentum. But there was a section with two logs and then with uh, one with like one log. They're probably about two feet tall, the logs, Chad, you'd say? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and hecklers got me to, to get up the nerve to just jump over them. So in the, I did the two logs and that was slower. Probably I was probably faster running them cause they were one right after another. I wasn't that good through that section, but then the other log I did every time it was just fine, but I got foggy one lap, like just mentally completely exhausted. And I jumped way too early and I should have been on YouTube if somebody was filming. Oh. It was awesome. Yeah. I just nosed into the back of the log bike, did flips in the air. Um, I was totally fine. So the, the, one small good. takeaway, and this was specific to this course, but can absolutely carry to other more technical sections of courses is that when I was pre-writing it, the, the guy who actually developed the course yelled at me, run that part. And mm -hmm. it was, it was in that maze and it's like, really I run it because I'm taking it so poorly or run it because in general people take this section poorly. He's like, no, it's just too slow. I've seen people run past people who are trying to ride it because they're yeah. in their bottom gear, which on a cross bike is really slow yeah. and fighting for uh, traction. Yeah. So sure enough, I, I ran that section, which is a pain because you got to you know, dismount, remount. But in fact, I did pass people. And every time people yeah. are calling out, you got a flat, you got a flat. But then they'd see me actually run around people who were still on their bikes and, and recognize my strategy. Mm -hmm. So thinking a little outside of the box paid off. Yeah, it makes you more tired getting off the bike and running, but it's faster. So if you can recover from that effort, you're going to have a faster lap time. That's the kind of the key. So, And then the last thing I wanted to touch on with this one is it's like this nailed down the importance of running tubeless. Uh, this happened one time at Vegas too, where I got rim on ground and I was running about 35 PSI and a WT cross boss tires, but I, I hit rim on ground one time across Vegas. That could have been a pinch flat and like 10 times at this race up in Tahoe Donner. And I even got a puncture, um, and it was spitting stands all over me, but, uh, which I didn't have orange seal, which is what I usually like, uh, but stands just going all over It ended up sealing and I just had a squishier front tire, but is all fine. So cool. So that covers cross. Jeez. It's like, I don't care. Let's talk about road racing. Triathletes <laughs> are, are bummed right now or anybody else that doesn't like cross. So triathletes are dreamers. They dream of cross. That's true. They, they're game Tri for doing so, more. So I actually so think that triathlete. I think cross is the closest to a triathlon in terms of, um, like vibe and like, especially it's, cross it's you, cross and it's Vegas yourself is a party. Like yeah. But and just in general, like it's, I think it's for a triathlete cross would be a great thing to like transfer into huge. It'd be and beneficial. Plus you're like, I can run, you don't yeah. run very much, but it's beneficial for everyone. Highly recommend it for triathletes. Yeah. Quite fun. So Devin's question from Snapchat, he says, Hey guys, love the software. I do Monday, Wednesday fr and Friday morning trainer road workouts. Currently sweet spot base. I have an hour, not one hour, 15 minutes or an hour, 30 minutes. How do I modify the longer workouts in the sweet spot based plan to suit my time requirements? My long ride is Saturday morning for 60 miles training for a half Ironman. He said, I've also thought about adding a, a pettit in the morning on my off days since I run at night and swim at lunch. So let's just cover this really quick. He has an hour, not an hour, 15, not an hour, 30. And he wants to be able to cut down some of the, the workouts. Yeah, so you, you have to prioritize. There's basically three components to every workout. You got the warm up, the main set and the cool down, um, the cool downs <clears throat> just by the nature of, of our time constraints, they're, they're already about as small as they can get. In some cases, they're literally one minute long, mm -hmm. leaving you to cool down if you have the time after the workout ends. So if you can cut the cool down down. That'd be my first recommendation. Most of the time you can't warm up, cutting the, cutting down the warm up is, you know, comes at the expense of the quality of the early intervals and sometimes the expense of the entire workout. So that's a tough one too. You probably can't cut the work, the warm ups down much more than they already are. And, and aging athletes and, uh, 
sometimes warm-ups take even longer than prescribed and maybe you do an early 10 or a preceding 10 minutes before you even start the workout. So uh, the warm-ups are problematic. So yeah, Devin, you probably do have to trim down the duration of the intervals, but then it comes down to, you know, what's overload for you. If you're doing three by tens and today you only have time for three by eights, that workout isn't exactly going to overload your current capabilities. So it's a tightrope and it's tough, but you know, you're still getting some quality and you may not see progress, but you know, at least you're not going to see any, uh, uh, you're not going to fall apart. You're not going to lose any of your fitness. Mm. I think you could too. So he has another option. Well, either trim off an interval or, um, trim off the interval and then trim off some rest and make some of them longer. Yep. Cause especially if it's sweet spot, like this would be impossible at threshold over your two max, but with sweet spot, there's like I've said before, you can really work yourself up to really Super long good point. Intervals. Yep. Absolutely. So in a three by 10, say you have five minute recoveries between intervals, get into the workout creator and, and, and chop those down to man. You can get away with minute long intervals in a mm -hmm. crunch, especially as your, as your fitness rises, as your muscle endurance comes up. So I forgot all about the recovery intervals. That's probably, uh, before you trim down the duration of the intervals, start to trim down the recovery as long as it doesn't come at the expense of the quality of the work intervals. Now, a lot of the workouts we have 45 and 30 minute variations where you've done just that, Chad, mm -hmm. um, you might've lopped off a set or you have cut down in many cases, in most cases, I've noticed you've cut down the, the rest recovery intervals, in between. Yeah. Um, so the workout tends to have, uh, if you were to look at it, it's probably a higher intensity factor. You're spending more time at a higher intensity. Exactly um, but you are still getting the benefit. Now, having said that, pay attention to how your body reacts and also be patient with yourself. A lot of the time, if you're used to a longer warm up or a standard warm up like we have in our workouts, it may come as a shock to the system uh, to just go straight into it. But with time, you will get used to that as well. That's one thing I've noticed, at least personally. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, for, for sure, um, workouts like that, it may be uncomfortable, but you can fight your way through uh, quite, a, quite a bit of those intervals, even improperly warmed. Another option could be uh, looking at for similar sweet spot workouts that are an hour long mm. because mm -hmm. those are usually, I think there's a lot, like if you have a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. If and again, could, trim those recovery intervals down. That's, that's. And you'd do that with the workout creator if you needed to. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But so if you have a hour and 15 and the intensity factor is like 0.85, you could look for an hour that's like 0.87 or 0.88. That's also sweet spot. Yeah. And that will kind of do the things that we're talking about, but it'll be designed by Chad. Yeah. Super similar training impact, just less time. Yeah, a little bit more intense. Yeah. Yeah. Less time. Exactly. And something I mentioned to, to Devin and he said that if he cuts down on his sleep anymore, then he won't have enough. But I, that was my first thing was yeah. wake up 15 minutes earlier. So, but if you are in a situation where you're getting, uh, where you're on the limit with your sleep, then, you know, that, that's a tricky situation. You can't cut that out either. So. Um, let's move on to Brian's question. Also from Snapchat. He says, I realize everyone is a bit different, but if done correctly, where should the base plans put a person in terms of ATL and CTL is the base period expected to establish a relatively flat CTL graph until you build, or should the base period itself be growing CTL? Uh, pretty much every training phase increases, uh, has to increase something. And typically that's your training load and, you know, expressed in, in CTL. So your chronic load week to week, you have to be doing more work. Um, and that, and that applies to the base season as well. Um, you might not see it, it, There's a subtler progression or a subtler rise in CTL over the course of most base plans. Then mm -hmm. you'll see in the build, which is why, you know, the build's aptly named. That's when you really start to build that CTL yep. base, not so much, but it's absolutely recognizable. So we're trying to, we're trying to grow capabilities here and you don't grow capabilities without challenging your current ones. And if you're doing the same training load each week and your CTL is flat, you're not going to see much in the, in the way of improvement. So yeah, it needs to ramp. 
Awesome. Josh's question. Uh, he says during the road season, I believe Chad and Nate said on their kicker, they were using a big ring on the front and small cog on the rear, pushing big gears for a high inertia feel. I believe Jonathan said for mountain biking, he was doing small ring on front. It's my only ring. I only have one up there on a mountain bike and, uh, or, but if I'm on a road bike, I guess that's true. And big cog on the rear, pushing small gears for a low inertia feel on his kicker. Now that the three of you are all riding the same cyclocross bikes and your kickers, I'm curious to hear what gear selection all of you are choosing to run while using uh, train road cyclocross plans. Thanks. Your software and podcast are really helpful and entertaining at the same time. Great combination, Josh. I think Nate, <clears throat> Nate and Jonathan are going to be uh, better at answering this since I have yet to start the cross plan. I'm about a week out from it. And I have yet to mount my cyclocross bike to my kicker, even though I have the equipment. You can't answer. So, <laughs> of no so help we have a 42 in the front. It's, yep. a, it's a one by. And then on the back, we have a 1042. Yep. And I am about mm, three, maybe four clicks down from max. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of not I actually right in the middle, but maybe one down from the middle. Which is probably a what, Jonathan? I don't uh, know. It's so hard because it, the range is so, it sweeps. It's 10, yeah. It goes 10... I think 10, 11, 12 up from the, from the bottom there. So you're so. going high inertia. Yep. Higher inertia. Yeah. I'm, I'm maybe one down from that 12. Yeah. I'm, I'm straight chain line off my front chain ring. Um, That's what so I'll be. I'm, I can almost promise. You'll be straight. Yeah. Something yep. like that. I, I, I kind of got it. So it didn't like rub. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's just, just the thing. Something on that line, on that note too. In fact, one guy at Cross Vegas said, man, you've got an X01 cassette on there. Cause that's the cassette we have SRAM X01. It's like, that's a little excessive for cross. Right. Oh. And that's the stupid mentality of like, you know, only big gears, like, and, and, you know, sissies run small gears. That's ridiculous. On that mountain bike course, I was able to ride that rough climb or sorry, the cyclocross course. It was like a mountain bike course. I was able to ride that rough climb every time and pull massive time because I had more gears. It's that too. Yeah. There were a couple of places where people were running and I was just seated climbing on in yep. Las Vegas. Yep. And it wasn't it was easy to go up yeah. on the 42. We were properly geared for it. And and, yeah. and we have the luxury of 1042 gearing for yep. for people who don't understand that. That's a that's a cog that's capable of going really fast and one that's capable of being really spinny all yep. in a single cog set with a single chain ring up front. It's so smooth and clean. And we're trying to put Dropper posts, right, Jonathan? Yeah, we At are. Least for me and you. Yeah, we're going to put dropper posts on there, and we're going to rig up a SRAM uh, shifter on the left side, because right now we just have a we have brakes, obviously, on both sides, but we don't have a shifter on our left side because it's a one-by setup, right? So the bikes came without a shifter paddle on that, on that integrated brake shifter. But now what we're going to do is get that, get a normal, like a two-by shifter up front. We're going to alter the ratchet system inside there, and then we're going to hook up our dropper post. It's even going to run internally. It's going to be so clean. It says we, it means Jonathan. Yeah, that means me. Yeah, I, I, I have no interest in it, but I do want to see if they can convert me. I am, I am open to the idea. I just don't think it's necessary. I would have jumped those logs every time very fast compared to what I was doing if I had a dropper on that course. And also in a lot of the turns, I would have been able to hold a much better line too. And our, and I'm giving secrets away, but in Ryan Leach's podcast, mm. he says the one tech thing that he would rather go back to 26 inch wheels is never take his dropper post. That's the one thing that, that he loves one the thing. most. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, um, you go down and there's the turns and it would just get my center of gravity lower. So yep. I could take some of those. I just turns. think it's one more thing to concern yourself with when you're already barely clinging to reality. And Have that's, you ridden that's, a mountain bike though, Chad, with the dropper post? Not yet. No. 
Yeah. Well, so there you go. It's, it's not that hard. Yeah, it becomes so intuitive. It really does. At first, that's a totally valid concern, though. I look at my bike and I have a lot of things going on up on the bars. But uh, once you start riding it and get used to it, you don't even think I about it. I don't think about it at all, the drama yeah. post when I ride. See, there's fair, something fair you don't enough. think we'll about. Exactly, yeah. Yes, yes. There we are, Nate. That's good. One, thing. One quick thing that I wanted to touch on. Uh, this was a, a point that, that, I that I wanted to bring up on the podcast. Josh mentioned uh, using my mountain bike on the trainer. Um, I've done that and I actually caused a problem because of running my mountain bike on there, not my mountain bike, but the seat post. So dropper posts are known for having issues with sealing. And a lot of the time, if air gets into the oil chamber, then, or oil into the air chamber, cause they have two separate chambers in a dropper post, just like suspension, they get a little squish at the top. It's like a, you know, it's like a two centimeter squish if it's, if it's really bad and it's really annoying. It's like you have a suspension seat post all of a sudden. Uh, mine developed that and RockShox spent a huge amount of time and money making sure that their new dropper post would never do that. And after talking to them, they think that it's because of having my bike fixed and then seated a lot of seated stuff, which I just think RockShox needs to send me drop po dropper posts now so I can stress test them. But they say because I'm seated and my bike is locked into a stationary position that I'd be putting more stress on the seat post and then possibly letting air through. I don't think so. We'll see, right? When you're on a trainer like versus like jamming it on a mountain bike, yeah. Way less stress. Right? That's what I'm saying. You hit bumps yeah. and you hit rocks. So we'll find out if that's the issue because they're sending me a new post and we'll find out if it, it just again. happens again, then it's not the trainer. Because I won't be using that on the trainer right now. I'll just be using my cross bike and everything else. So interesting though. Interesting point um, to to look at there. So, uh, all right, let's move on to Arter's question or Art's Artur, I don't know how to say it. Perhaps it was with the Spanish accent there. Anyways, this one covers a bunch of small questions that a lot of people have. So I wanted to, to go over this because I think it could be helpful. So it says, hey guys, I'm a father, a surgeon, a community volunteer. I also love cycling. He seems like a great guy. He's got everything going. He says, I'm trying to get, a, uh, I'm trying to get better at it, but don't always find time. Two winters ago, I did trainer roads base and some build and saw amazing gains in a few months. Now I don't have much time for regular rides. It's hard to squeeze in a good club ride on Saturday. And I go out for a very slow ride with my family, including his daughter in tow, I assume in a trailer, uh, once a week or so. What are your suggestions for a busy person like me? I'd guess most of your listeners are this way as well, who are not racing. I want to get better in terms of endurance, overall fitness, speed, FTP, and power to weight ratio. Here's some specific aspects to consider. Number one, timing. So he throws out all these things. He's very analytical. I like this. So number one, timing. <laughs> he says, I can exercise more if I do it in the evenings after my daughter is asleep, say starting at 9 p.m. But is that overall good physiologically? Ideally, mornings would have been better, but I wake up fairly early as a surgeon already and waking up another hour earlier would be tough to achieve. Hell, this one, but yeah. Yeah, so this is the big concern here. <clears throat> Excuse me, Arthur, is, is your sleep not as much your training? So the training stress is going to be similar. Um, different times of day present different challenges. Um, so, you know, when you can get it in is when you can get it in. So the, the, how this is going to affect your sleep, you know, whether or not going to bed ramped up is tougher than getting up an hour earlier is kind of for you to determine. Um, I will say physiologically, certain things happen as the day winds down, you know, cortisol drops, uh, whereas it's elevated in the morning that, uh, insulin in your system, there, there are certain things. Um, so one thing I wanted to clarify is, uh, it's 
I don't want to throw a big term at you, but the, it's AMPK. So there's something that happens. Surgeon. He's got lots yeah, of big okay. terms. Yep. So there's something that happens at the genetic level. And in terms of endurance adaptation, there's this AMPK. It's like a denison monophosphate activated protein kinase, blah, blah, blah. Big mouthful. All it is is it's, it's associated or it's, it's, it's a genetic signal that, that helps us adapt to aerobic, aerobically adapt, adapt to the endurance exercise or greater endurance capabilities. Um, and you'll see a bump in this after your aerobic exercise or, you know, this, this late night workout, which is all good and fine, but then you kind of shut it off when you have uh, carbohydrate. So if, you know, whether or not you're going to starve yourself and go to bed or you're going to ingest carbohydrate and go to bed is another thing. You know, can you sleep with a belly full of sugar? If you don't turn it on, what happens to your muscle over the course of sleeping? Um, you can actually burn some fat, but it comes at the expense of muscle. There's a balance there too. So you kind of have to determine what takes a greater load on your system, working out and then having poor sleep or maybe not working out, getting a little less sleep and getting up earlier and working out then. Uh, I wonder if too, if there's a so I used to do late night workouts. If you kind of get used to them more often, because right now if I do a late night workout, I am like you be destroyed. Well, and yeah, the intensity yeah. of the workout is going to have a big influence on that too. Mm-hmm. So you do you Take know VO two max repeats, something yeah. hard and draining. Um, even even if it's yeah, well, that's going to be a lot harder to wind down than you know sixty minutes of Pettit. I slept, and we had a good amount of time in between Cross Vegas and when we uh, went to bed, and I slept terribly that night. Terribly. It's uh, whenever I do hard workouts late at night, even easy workouts, they still get me, uh, they, they, I don't know if it's just exciting the central nervous system or what, but I just that's, don't That's feel, a valid argument too. Yep. It's just like watching TV as opposed to not watching TV in yep. that hour before, before bed. Certain brain stimulus down. can affect how, how easy it is to fall asleep, stay asleep, et cetera. But it's not impossible for him to do them at 9 p.m. Yeah, you no, can get used not. to it too. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, look at how many people go to the gym and work out late and they are able to sustain that. It, it's the same thing it ever is, is what effect does it have on performance? And you, you're not racing, so you're measuring your performance in different manners. But, you know, you, you talk about wanting things to improve. So is your endurance coming up? Is your speed and your, F, your watts per kilogram changing favorably? You measure your sleep too. So it's, you're a, you sound like an analytical guy. Mm. Try it out. If, it, if you're not sleeping well, Probably don't do it, especially yeah, if you're going to operate on me. I mean, outside of the training <laughs> itself, you, you, your, your nutrition, your sleep are it. I mean, they're so important, arguably more important than the training. Yeah, and you, you kind of bring up a good point, Nate. His career is extremely critical, right? Like in the sense that like you can't really just make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, where, whereas are mistakes, yeah. there are none. Whereas some in, some people may have a job that's less critical there. Uh, you know, yours is yours is different there. So his next question, volume and intensity, what average volume and intensity would be required for someone like me to get better? And he references uh, like an increase in FTP, power to weight, speed, et cetera. So Artur, this is basically why we don't throw a bunch of workouts at you. We actually devised training plans and, and, and steer you. So you don't have to keep all this stuff in mind. There's no particular average volume or intensity. I can't just say go do this many hours and make sure it falls at a 0.75 intensity if you're going to be a long course triathlete or we can't do that. The, the plans have to walk you through a particular progression of different physiological stressors that leads you to you know the fitness you're, you're, you're looking for. So short answer here is pick a training plan, follow that plan. Yeah, that takes that's the simple way to take care of it. And people can do low volume and get, especially if you're not mm-hmm. racing, 
get good increases. Yep. You get a good diet. You can lose weight. Yeah. It's far less stressful on your body. I mean, yeah. there's a there's a strong argument to be made for low intensity training. After six weeks of following uh, the mountain bike cross country Olympic plan, uh, the junior high school team we just did FTP tests the other night, and all of them saw increases of plus thirty three percent at least. Some of them three percent. Yep. Huh. Pretty Lord. crazy. They're pretty crazy. So, then that was with a low volume plan. So, yeah, pretty sweet. Side note, but I feel like juniors, I'm, I'm guessing they were pretty low before. They weren't like at five watts a kilo, yep. but juniors, like, they can go really deep mm-hmm. and they can, like, their bodies just, you know, they have all these hormones and they, they recover, recover like, so quick. exactly. Like, yeah. I remember when I was 18 and I may have partied and drank some alcohol in college. <laughs> and then you wake up the next day at yeah. 7 a.m. and you're like, fine. Yeah. Now, oh, go to, go to a track meet with middle school kids versus high school kids. I mean, even that, yeah. that bit yeah. of an age gap, you'll yeah. see these little guys pushing themselves so hard they're puking. Yeah. Whereas the high schoolers have kind of caught on to the fact that that's really unpleasant yeah. and, and they just don't go quite as deep as these young kids. One of the kids, by the way, sorry, a quick side note. He's a really, really good motocross rider. Really good. And he just decided to try mountain biking and he's ridden like three times. And he's never been on a trainer, never done an FTP test, anything else like that. And he was 3.2 watts per kilogram. Wow. He weighs 86 pounds Jesus. and he's four foot 11 and he's a freshman in high school. He's super tiny. The kid's amazing. So like growth spurt it. And- yeah. 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 And the, he, the, like his third time riding a bicycle and he was riding wheelies on all the trails around the kids. He's just really good. So I still can't do it. Pretty, I know, me too. Yeah. I'm going to. He's going to teach Before me. Or you too. Oh, life <laughs> goal. The wheelie race is on. <laughs> yeah. So he, the next question, he says, I love riding outdoors. If I were to find time, what's the best way to appropriate a train road plan outdoors? And this is one that we've answered before. Or forgive me. Yeah, approximate. This is one we've answered before, but a lot of you are getting into the point where you're going to be going into base training and probably doing some longer rides outside. So it's worth mentioning again. Yeah. So, so we always talk about try to do the more basic stuff outdoors, do the more complex stuff indoors. But if you want to do the more complex stuff outdoors, I have two basic recommendations. Um, one is my 90% rule. Try to be 90% within the confines of the workout. You're not going to nail it. There are too many variables, too many things you, beyond your control outdoors. So don't look for perfection. Yeah, I don't look for perfection indoors either, but you know, it's, it's a little closer to attainable than it is out on the road. But when you're out on the road, if you can get that workout 90% correct, you are doing exceptionally well. Um, the second thing is utilize mild grades. They provide more consistent resistance, more akin to trainer riding, and it's a lot easier to you know dial in the intensity you're shooting for and also to just get to the top of the climb, completely spent, coast down to the bottom, there's your recovery, don't have to do any work in the process, akin to the recovery valleys that the workouts include, and then hit it again. Yep. And I always try to, like Chad said, just reiterate, reiterating this again, I always try to make sure that I do my, if I'm going to do an outdoor workout, that it's one of the ones with less specificity or less. Ideally, yeah. yeah. But it you helps. can, you can recreate anything outdoors. Yep. It's just to, you know, how, how specific, how, how, uh, spot on do you need to be? And it's also worth saying that even though you can recreate anything outdoors, you're always going to give yourself a much better chance at getting a more specific workout if you're inside. So Um, next question. He says, if I'm on a plan and I miss a scheduled workout by a day or two, as my schedule can suck sometimes, do I pick up where I left off, skip a workout or do something easier? Um, so this, this boils down to prioritization. Uh, when you have to miss workouts, you don't want to miss the, especially on a time constraints training schedule, you don't want to miss the high intensity training. That's the stimulus that's going to spur the change. So those have to come first. So if you're skipping one of those, I say, um, go back and make sure you do that workout and skip the lesser workouts. 
Um, beyond that, you can just pick up where you left off. Just make sure you're not skipping the quality workouts. Mm. And then his last question, he says, should I get a power meter or for an entry level rider like myself is heart rate or do heart rate zones? You're a surgeon, get a power meter. <laughs> <Yep>. Everybody <laughs> needs a power meter. Yeah. yeah. Like in general, everyone needs a power meter. Um, there's a lot of affordable ones now. Totally. We all like stages. They're great. It's, it's one-sided. I know there's debate about if that's good or not. It's irrelevant. We all yeah. trust our fitness to yeah. one-sided power meters. It works like we have, fine. we have a ton of choices, but. When we get a new bike, like our new cross bikes, we chose stages. Yep. Um, stages are awesome. Uh, you get no money from stages. If you, Yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't get anyone. any money from anyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Only users. Yeah. And they're, uh, if you do want one that's crank-based, I know Cork just released their new one. It's cheaper, too. Oh, yeah. Um, that's an awesome one. I use Corks. I, so I use Corks and stages and SRM. Yep. Yeah. And I'm a cork and stages guy. So, and I found both of them to line up really well. Like the uh, prices are dropping and also the, the kind of main players or the creams rising to the top. And you're recognizing that even though they're measuring at different areas, like my stages and my cork are, are from what I can tell, I haven't ridden with both of them on, but they're, they feel very close to the I've exact ridden same with my cork and stages on the same bike. And they're right. Like, right. So you have to, you have to, when you look at these things too, you know, they're all like plus or minus 1%. Mm -hmm. So whenever you look at things like do plus or minus 1%. And if it's within that, you're fine. Good. Yeah. Then then don't you can't argue then that oh this is the the cork is right and the that's off because it's a uh, four watts at three hundred watts and like no that's yeah. within the margin of error. Yeah. Sorry. We usually like to pick the one that reads a little higher, right? Yeah, that's the right that's one. like the tendency. That's the right one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah. So hope that answers uh, your question and hopefully I, a lot of questions tip. for other people, Doctor. Oh yeah. Go ahead. So he says that he was doing some easy rides with his family mm. and this again. So I'm pimping up this Ryan Leach one just because podcast because it it's changed really my life. Good. It changed my life. It's really good. He's talking about doing session ones, but I've been doing session rides on my mountain bike just in my neighborhood. And there are so many awesome ways to like do jumps off curbs. So go totally. up curbs. Explain session. That's that was a new term to me. Yeah, a session meaning um go out just to work on skills. A single skill. And you repeat that skill. That's what yep. sessioning means, right? You repeat whatever that is, you just repeat it. And you build in those muscular recruitment patterns, neural pathways, everything else so that you can th build the movement pattern you need. So I might be trying to, and, and is he, Ryan Leach has a series of, um, you can sign up for a site and he's got a, like, he'll break down manuals into like 30 different steps. So I might try one step, but when you're riding with your kids, especially if you're on a, if you want to do these kind of things, you can practice manuals or getting your front wheel up all day long with your kids. Yep. It's not a fitness thing, but it's mm -hmm. definitely a skill thing. They're and also going to think you're pretty cool. Yeah. And or then you lame. can, yeah. <laughs> and he talks easy. about, you know, just like cracks in the road. Can I lift my wheel over this for the manual? You're at the beginning when you're not really good yep. at it. Then yep. when you get up bigger, can I go up this curb? Yeah. Um, so tell us, Nada, are you doing manuals now? Uh, I can get it for a little bit, but not, I mean, like I can lift the front wheel up, but no, yeah, so there's yeah. like, he, there's two, there's popping them. Like when you pull it up yep. then where you kind of like, you push with your feet and your body pulls it up. Yep. And I can definitely, I get that feel once every like four times where I do it right. And the other times it's me like popping it up. Yeah. I still have to practice more. I mean, it's a lot of practice. So. It's coming along though. It's coming along. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's good for me to do these 30 minute sessions after dinner or something just around the neighborhood. But if you, I, my kids are too young now, but when they can ride bikes, I'm like, oh, we can do this after dinner. That'd be cool. I can mess around. And I bet yeah. you my son and daughter will just mimic me and just be able to do it like without thinking, you know what I mean? Oh it, yeah. They won't know that it's hard or totally. Yeah. Just do it. 
they'll have fun. And one takeaway from what Nate's saying is uh, he says every night after dinner is the consistency. When it comes to skill work, you drill yes. that stuff over and over and over and over. And the more consistent you do it, the more consistently you do it, the, the better chances you'll actually nail that skill. That's 100% true. I'm taking that to the bank to beat you at wheeling first. Um, <laughs> Ryan Leach has a 30-day wheelie challenge. Oh yeah. 30 days I can do it. And I own it. So I just need to focus. But I, you, you guys can check out my Instagram profile to see me wheeling a fat bike with, with great, great skill. I've, I can do those just fine. Those are easy. You wheelie a fat bike. Oh yeah. But yeah. What, what can't can you wheelie forever. on? A road bike? Uh, road bike. Can't do that. And my XC bike, I can't do it either. It's frustrating. So, and, and to be clear on a dirt bike, I can ride a wheelie. I've done it for over 40 miles. So a long time, right? That's just what? easy. But when you get onto a bicycle, it's the side to side balance. And I think it's because what I do is when I'm pedaling, I'm not engaging my core enough. I'm not detached, so to speak. So then when every pedal stroke goes over, I'm shifting my balance and my weight too much from one side to the next. So I need to do a better job of riding with my core more engaged, I think. So. so is, is there a, do you guys think there's, cause we talk about this a lot. Is there benefit for road riders to learn how to do these kind of technical skills that maybe a mountain biker might do? Totally. Anything that improves your comfort on the bike and your balance in general is worthwhile. Huge. I think huge. Just cause huge. I, in my road riding stuff, doing these mountain biking, I'm not even good at mountain biking yet, but my road riding skills are so much better. Yeah. And you see so many faster. people and I'm, I'm a roadie too. But I'm going to bag on us really quick, us roadies. A lot of us, mm -hmm. we, we think that, oh, I, I rode a bike when I was a kid. Now I'm an adult and I sit in a cubicle all day, but I know how to ride a bike because I rode a bike when I was a kid and I got off training wheels. So they just start racing, right? You see so many people that are racing, even at the front of a pack, they may be super fit and they have terrible bike handling skills. Yeah. They don't have good line choice. They can't respond to a situation when it comes up on them. That, that whole, you never forget how to ride a bike may be true, but riding a bike well, absolutely totally does not in the pros a little bit too, but, oh. and then you see the guys who are really good bike handlers Yeah, and man, do they carve corners fast and they yep. save our energy. Yeah. So you save energy. You're much more safer. Yeah, you're safer. Like you're relaxed, on, you expend less energy. Yeah, if you get in a dangerous situation, you get out of it. Yes, but you see that in the pro field too. Like uh, yeah. Cancelera, the he like yeah, Sagan. They, yeah, there's nothing they can't tackle in their brains. They can handle any situation. You get pushed into a curb, and they just bunny hop onto the curb and then go back off. Yeah, like you said all the time in the in the pros, yep. and it's just it feels natural. Yeah, where that could then break a collarbone and, in, and in mortals. You're not going to I mean, just people who don't practice. You're not going to learn that skill on the road because, like you were talking about before, finding that point at which traction disappears on a road bike. If you found that, it's too late. Yeah. You're down. Don't lie down the road bike, right? And that so that's the problem is that you never you never get to that point, and if you do, you crash. So you instantly build you know those bad habits around riding to avoid that situation. Habits. Yeah. So. You have to put yourself in a situation where traction, you have a wider margin of error. It's not just that razor's edge. And then also less consequence, which mountain biking, I mean, how many times have you crashed on the road, Nate, riding road? Once really bad. And it was bad, right? Like nine stitches. Yeah. One, one crash. I've crashed on the road twice and extremely bad crashes. And I can't count how many times I've crashed on a mountain bike. And I, they, none of them were as bad as, as the road crashes. You can crash on a mountain bike and you're okay. And now Leach says too. Totally fine. Well, yeah, it still sucks. But Ryan Leach <laughs> says he has all of his stuff practiced in a, a grassy field at yeah, like walking yeah. pace. Exactly. You can still get a lot of skills that way. Totally can. So I've never crashed on a road bike, by the way. You never have, Chad? Never. I've been crashed. Been, yeah, that's what I, okay. Many yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I've. I've, I've never crashed. 
So I've never crashed then as well. I've only been crashed. So. Well, I've been crashed too then. Yeah, yeah. I've never crashed. <laughs> there is a difference. There's, a, there's there an is. important difference. There is absolutely an important difference. Yeah, I didn't lose it. Someone else did. Yeah. Um, let's uh, move on to Dustin's question. He says, hey guys, I really appreciate the podcast that you're doing. Great info and tons of useful nuggets that I'm able to take away from it to incorporate into my own training. That's that summarizes the goal. We just want to give you useful stuff. So nailed it. Yeah. On our last or on your last podcast with Ray and DC Rainmaker, which we posted that up from Interbike. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you listened to that too. It was mentioned that trying to correct power left, right imbalances potentially does more harm than good. Can you please expand? Isn't a power imbalance potentially a sign of weak stabilizer muscles? I'm typically 4357 or 4555 left, right. So I experimented by incorporating single-legged uh, gym work into my gym routines. Single leg press, single hamstring curls, single-legged body weight squats, lunges, etc. What I started to see a couple of days afterwards is my left right moved to 4852. This was on a trainer and also outside during a workout. Is what uh, is what I am doing potentially going to cause some problems down the road? Appreciate your help, Dustin. Yeah, Dustin, so that right there is probably the best argument for why endurance athletes should strength train. Improvements in efficiency, improvements in, in, in the things that you're not going to improve otherwise. So I'm not saying go hit the weights and you're going to be a better rider, but in terms of ironing out things that, uh, how are you going to do it on the bike? That that's one way to go about it. And honestly, that, that right there is how you should approach, in my opinion, something like this yeah, in, in an indirect manner, make a stronger, more balanced body, then carry that over to the bike, but don't get on the bike and try to push one leg a little harder than the other That's leg. That's what we were saying. You're setting yourself yeah. up for just frustrating challenges that you, you're just not going to get it right. That's not the way to, to skin that cat. I'm also going to throw a counterpoint to this. I would, I would feel comfortable betting that Dustin, a lot of that increase in, or I should say that, that symmetry that you were gaining that balance between left, right, how much of that was mental? Were you focusing on this all of a sudden now, because you were worried about that or because you think you were doing the gym work. So you were focusing on that leg because if you ride a power or if you ride and you're looking at live left, right data, if yeah. you just focus on one leg instead of the other leg, you'll see it shift. Yeah, really the only Don't way you're going to be able to analyze that productively is to look at it after the ride. But if you're trying to manage it real time, you can iron those things many out. Many rides too, not just one. Oh, yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. That's the thing. Like if you're just measuring on one ride, especially right after like, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to work on this and it's going to go great. I know I have a lot of self-belief and if I start doing something, if I want to believe that it's working, I, I, I'm, I can mentally enable myself to make that work a lot of the time, you know? I, I would think the the approach to if you are, that's pretty far in balance, uh, 4357, is not to, and I think our point on the podcast was not to, while you ride then, say, I'm going to push harder with yes. my weak leg all the whole time. Yes. Like, don't do that. But either, it's a great approach. It's just going and doing single leg stuff or, or even, I mean, something like squats where you can't have one leg just kind of like not push. Or right. I think over. you went about it exactly the right way. Single leg exercises, all the obvious movers in that movement. And, uh, you, you did it off the bike in such a way that you improved your, your body in a more general sense. Well, good job, Dustin. Yeah, no doubt. Coach Chad approval. <laughs> Landon, he says, hi, I recently started graduate school and it has thrown quite a wrench into my usual training plans. I used to ride every day after work, but now with classes, networking events, and homework, I'm finding my training schedule to be an utter mess with little to no consistency. As a result, I have two questions. How important is it to train at or, or train at around the same time every day? 
So let's cover that one first. Okay, so kind of what we covered earlier, you know, there are benefits and, and downfalls to, to different times of day training. Um, but the physiologic effect is going to be so similar that it's not something you should concern yourself with. There, There's one argument that uh, if you're going to race at a particular time of day, training at that same time of day, the whole temporal specificity thing, that's a term. Um, there, there's something to that. There absolutely is, but it doesn't sound like that's a big concern for you. That's super icing on the cake. Exactly. You got to build yeah. that cake. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. Yeah, icing yeah, on the yeah. cake. That's yeah. Super marginal. So yeah. don't sweat it, Landon. In the Olympics, make sure you're training at the right same Right. Yeah, exactly. And even if, even if you just, you know, you always race Saturday mornings and you can train in the mornings, there, there's there's an upside to it. But, yeah, but don't like feel Nate like said, you're going to miss out. No, don't. But yeah. if you're looking for like a quarter of a percent to win a Those gold medal. Those are the medal, things you worry about yeah. when you've topped out in every Everything other manner. Else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question. Do you guys have any suggestions for balancing an erratic schedule with training? So personal tips that we, we use. Yeah, um, if it's erratic, I always like try to get as much training in earlier because your schedule will always kind of like uh-huh. screw you later. So yeah. if you're like, so if you have a Tuesday, Thursday interval sessions and uh, Wednesday's easy, a lot of times of those I'll go Tuesday and then Wednesday. If I'm not feeling horrible, I'll go back to back intervals, not optimal, but because life will come up and Thursday now I can't work out. And yeah. if you can't work Friday, out that I can't day, work out. Yeah. you want to have lower priority workouts that you have to leave same, off. Same thing goes with time of day. If at all possible, do it first thing in the day so it's out of the way and covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's huge. And just getting getting it as, as quickly as possible. I'm trying to, this new thing, I, I usually wake up in the morning between 5, 30, and 6, <laughs> and um, I, thanks, Chad. And, uh, <laughs> that was the end of your sentence. <laughs> I will look at, <laughs> me too. sometimes I wake up in the afternoon, no. But I'll look at my phone for like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I, I did the math where if I took that out and I took it out for the whole year, me looking at my phone. You save a like, lot of time. Yeah, it was like, oh wow. I think I did 20 minutes and it was like 40 hours of work that yeah. I could like have taken back. So little things like that, cutting out, I, I can lower my shower by like five minutes if I go like super fast, you know, it smells really bad now, but no, no, (laughs) I found out that if I shower at the gym, I shower in like two minutes because I don't want to be in there with everybody. Right. Like I'm like, I'm like, I do everything necessary and get out. And at home I'm like daydreaming and like la la la, you know, right. Uh, Singing. But yeah, exactly. And, And you just, just making those parts of your life shorter. So you have more time to train or more time to be productive, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times too, you'll think about training and there's a good, there's a Nike quote. It's like, somebody's already done with their workout by the time you started thinking about yours. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you started thinking about it and you haven't got on. I always want to be that guy that's putting somebody else in that position. Yeah. Yeah. You you just go right away. Just alarm goes off. You get out of bed, get in the shower, you two minute shower it, you know, you get ready and you go. Yeah. One, one thing too, or one tip that I would have is keep your bike on the trainer sensors paired like all the small steps that could cause any type of an issue and drag your workout longer than it should be pre-workout or, you know, have your bottles. Like when I finish a workout, a lot of the time, if I know I have a workout the next day, I usually, when I finish a workout, my bottle's close to empty. I usually drink a bottle in an hour, somewhere around there. And I fill up that same bottle and then I put it in the fridge and it's ready for the next workout. Like small things. <laughs> yeah. Eventually we'll wash it. Right. But I, small things like that really help, um, to just get all the little pieces out of the way. Like your, your kit, make sure that, um, I, 
I'm, I, I, I tend to be a person that on the weekends when I am taking care of laundry and everything else, I know what I'm going to wear on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That way I just don't, don't have to make that decision. Yeah, and, and, we've, kids, and we've talked I about this before. Anything too. you can do that paves the way to that workout is going to make it that much more time efficient. Totally. Yeah. All the little things you can do, like, um, right next to my trainer, I have my shoes laid out. Um, like everything is just like, so the way is paved, right? There's no little snags. I might lose my shoes or I might, you know, I don't have any of that going on. So, and just getting, doing it early is probably the best because if you do it first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. if you get up quickly, do it first thing in the morning, your day can't get in your way. Yep. And if you don't, you'll find a hundred reasons why that workout can wait five more minutes, another half hour. I'll do it at this time. That time comes and goes. You cut it short or or you don't get to it at all. Also, Landon, you mentioned networking events. And if you go into those networking events, knowing that you did a workout and that guy that you're talking to probably Mm. hasn't, you've got the upper hand. So I just picture John walking through like Walmart and being like, they didn't do a workout today. They didn't do a workout. Today. I just put everyone down yeah, to lift myself I did. up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how we roll. Um, the, the last question that I wanted to cover is one from Fwad. Um, and Fwad, I hope I'm saying your name right, Fwad. Um, but he says that his son is 12 years old and he's in week four of sweet spot base is the, and, and he said oh. this week and he's in week six. So he's a little guy. He's going for it. He says, my son has only a couple of road races and one cyclocross race under his belt. And I have never raced in my life. We're both planning to race, uh, this cyclocross race coming up this year. It's close to where we live and easily, and we can easily practice the actual course often. He says, should we just stick to the base plan and then build until the events? Uh, or I think the alternative in that sense would be moving up to the specialty plan. Right, Chad? Yeah. Which... Yeah, which in the case we're going to answer this right now, yeah, yeah, uh, of a kid, <clears throat> absolutely not. Stick with the base. Stick with the most basic stuff. He's he's a he's a new rider. He's got so much to do before he starts prioritizing the really specific, more risky stuff. Mm. Still at, at that young age too, um, motivation and whatever they is motivating to them is so important because it's so easy for kids to go too far in, especially with parental. Like mm. pushing and then get burnt out. Burn out my friend, yeah. though, he has a six-year-old and a ten-year-old racing cross. They went to Sacramento and raced cross. Even the How six-year-old, cool. she yeah. actually was in it with a flower basket. That's I saw awesome. pictures and she's pushing her <laughs> bike and she's basket. got a huge smile. And then the older girl at ten's got a. She's on this really old mountain bike and she's got a like bright pink face. You know, like going <laughs> yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. going way hard. But they both yeah. had tons of fun and That's awesome. they just bought the wife a cross bike. So the whole family's doing cross now. That's pretty sweet. They'll be there Saturday. Family goals right there. So that's actually his next question. Um, and he mentions the fact that since I coached juniors, uh, he was asking if I had any advice to keep him motivated. I felt like this was interesting. He says, My son is pretty wiped out after his indoor workouts. He's tired and cranky for the rest of the day and ready to give up on racing. That doesn't sound good. Um, he says next day he'll be fine again. He loves biking, but the hard work and discipline aspect are not as appealing to him. You could just skip that right now at this age. They don't need to drill it on the trainer. Oh no. It should be 99% fun. Yeah. Skills work. What a great time to do skills work. They'll absorb it. Kids love that too. Yeah. Let's go practice jump on our bikes. Exactly. I, I, so my, my, that would be my recommendation. We actually, so we, uh, the, we have a high school league in our region. Now it's new this year. A lot of kids that just have a mountain bike or have ridden a mountain bike before they all want to get involved. And, uh, but it's a racing league. It's a little more intense. There's structured training. And I've noticed in our case on our team, there are some kids that have really responded 
negatively to this, to the hard work side of things, because they just like riding a bike. They didn't sign up for, to, you know, to, to grow their capacity or become more fit. They just want to ride a bike. And in those cases, we found that it's better for those kids to, to not keep doing that. Youngsters don't need VO2 max intervals. They need to enjoy themselves. Totally. I feel, I find too, that I am intrinsically motivated. And when I get to, it was probably when I was maybe early twenties, when I really wanted to beat other people. Mm-hmm. And and now that's what, that's what I'm like. I want to beat other people and yep. be faster than other people. And in a, in a nice, like competitive way, but I want to improve myself and measure myself against other people. And when you're young, when he goes to his first race and he gets, you know, beat by some people, well, he might be okay with that. Or he might, that's when he'll get that motivation or maybe it's okay. I don't care. And or that, he might quit. That, like, that frustrates him. He mentions that in this in this next part. He says that he gets lapped, and he, you know, because he's the youngest kid there. He's really small, and that wears on him. It, all those things. Uh, it it can be really tough to overcome. And if they aren't choosing, they don't want to overcome that at a young age. You hard really, for the parents to be yeah, like choose for them. Really, it is. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, let's just flip this on its head. Let's say your kid is motivated to train, and he wants to train with you. He wants to do that type of a thing. That's totally fine. But it's still it's always a good idea to, to favor fun rather than that work side of things with the kids. So that's at least what we've mentioned to motivate kids that aren't into that, um, that are, that are lacking motivation for the training aspect of things. Really, you just have to go back to the basics and find out why they like to ride bikes. Did you say how old his kid is? Yeah. 12, he mentions 12? that he's 12. How, excuse me. How old are your kids? That's your, not your kids, but the kids yeah. you're training. Yeah. They're all 14 or they're 12 all the way up to 18. Do you notice a difference on the FTP test about how hard people dig between 12 and yeah. 14, 16, 18? Oh, yeah. So the kids that are really young, they, they either lack the focus and they don't have the ability to push it hard. Uh, the 18-year-old kid, he's the one that has the highest watts per kilogram and everything else. But it's not just because he has more time riding. It's because he really like has learned and loved to push himself, right? It's a very different different experience. I think you get a mental maturity Especially, I mean, the difference between 12 and 16 mm-hmm. is huge. A hundred years. It's a lot. And, and you start to there. recognize that if I want to do better, I actually do have to do some hard work. Yeah, exactly. And and some kids uh, this year, like one kid, for example, he showed up into the first race and he got, he got destroyed by everybody and it completely demotivated him. Uh, he was just not into it and he's not into training and that's okay. Um, whereas some kids, they got beat and it lit a fire under them and they have trained so hard and they've improved, you know, so just measuring how they respond to that. And then kind of like, I know I, this is very perhaps feely, but I try to see it as a river. Like, don't just try to stop the river and put it in the direction you want. Just kind of let it flow in the direction that it needs. You can guide it a bit, but yeah. Words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. Hey, next Indeed. podcast, where are we going to be? Uh, we are going to be in Kona. Kona. Yep. It's going to be exciting. So we will have two special podcasts and then we, sh- we might record an ask a cycling coach podcast one. episode yeah. there. Yeah. We should totally sure. yeah, write the trip off. Right? We're going to be actually riding the bike course Sunday after the race. Yep. So the entire yep. 112 miles. So we'll have good input there. Riding and the run course. We're going to be working be the, the run course, yeah. T2 transition area. Yeah, We're catching bikes yeah. and I think we're scheduled. We might be able to catch pro bikes. So we watch. will be catching pro bikes. I can't well, see a pro getting there sooner than than well, our shift. Did, yeah. I just, can. I, well, I'm hoping that I want to catch like the first guy off the bike. I think we, we'll be amongst so the watch people the catching podcast. that bike. I am the, the handsome tall guy. <laughs> He's slightly fat. No, I'm, I look skinny. Yeah. He looks uh, skinny, but you'll see us. We want Chad's the bald guy who's old. Oh. Well, actually you can see us go to trainer.com slash podcast. And you can see yeah. our faces. 
Yeah. Um, and but then, hopefully you see us on the broadcast. It'd be cool. And then we'll also it's, it's be live on, on the web. Yep. Yeah. Live on the web. It'll be, be the guy with the shaved broadcast. head. Just, just like throw that out there. Shaved. Not, Not bald. bald. Shaved. <laughs> um, there will also be doing a podcast with flow cycling. Uh, they make, uh, they've done a huge amount of research recently on tires and wheels and how they interact with the bike and what about. the best combo is. They have a lot of info. And also we're going to talk to Ryan of best bike split, a That's brilliant good. guy with pacing and everything else. He knows everything about aerodynamics and pacing courses. Yes. So we're going to talk to him only about that. So, and we're going to a bunch of parties. Yeah. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Cliff bar training peaks, slow twitch, the, the whole crew. Yeah. Thanks. There are a bunch of them. So it'll be good. Stay tuned for that. And also more podcasts from Interbike. Uh, I'll be putting some up. I'll give you a weekend treat this weekend on Saturday. We'll put one up and next week we'll get to talk about cross Reno, how we all did. Ooh, so yeah, I'm Kona. racing the pros by the way. So it's going to be a good one. We'll see how it goes. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye.